I want to pray over you this morning. This is a, an important one, that uh, whether you are uh, saved or unsaved, whether you were raised in church or not, whether you're uh, a full believer, a skeptic, uh, anything, as we talk about fear, it's something that holds us back, limits us, can bind us, and um, it's something that Jesus spoke specifically against and the, and the apostles spoke out against of of reminding ourselves that we're not supposed to be bound by fear. And, um, and that's not so easy. It's easy to say. It's not so easy to overcome it. And so I just want to pray that God's word over you this morning would be good seed and it would begin to sprout up uh, good seeds of faith. And, and I'll explain it to you like this before I pray. The best way to get weeds out of your yard is to have a strong, healthy yard. Right? Wherever there's patches where the grass doesn't grow well, gives room for weeds to come up. But where it's nice and strong and all the grass is, is close together, it's very tough for weeds to grow. And so I want to pray that God puts seeds in those barren areas of your life that grows up great seeds of faith and pushes out weeds of doubt and fear this morning. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come, and as we open your word, let it be good seed. God, let it penetrate the soil of our heart. Let it penetrate deep into our, our response, Lord, that we're not hesitant, we're not resistant. It, it may feel like we feel some, some pushback, but that's just like pushing the seed into the soil. So, Lord, till up the soil of our heart to receive so that we may be people who are fearless and faithful according to your word, according to your plan and your grand design for what you want for us, God. We ask us that you'd give us the tools and the scripture today to help us understand how to overcome our fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I looked up a bunch of different fears, and now, I mean, we've got a, a list. We have thousands and thousands. If you can think of a fear, I, I found some that I'd never even heard of before. And so, if this is you, please don't think that I'm poking fun at you. Uh, you don't have to think. Just know I am. You don't have to even think about it. You can be certain this morning. Uh, there's some fears that I'm wondering, how in the world did this become a fear? But I'll share a few of them with you this morning. So here we go. We've got fear of spiders. That's a pretty big one. We've got ophidophobia, fear of snakes, acrophobia, fear of heights, glossophobia, fear of public speaking. I have that. Monophobia, fear of being alone. Obviously, you don't have that this morning. You're here with everybody else. Uh, Atychophobia, fear of failure, misophobia, fear of germs. Now, here's one I'd never heard of before. Trypophobia, fear of holes. Never heard of that one before. Thanatophobia, fear of death. Electrophobia, fear of chickens. Those are vicious, vicious creatures. Trypanophobia, fear of needles. I've seen many of those people in my life. Aquaphobia, fear of water. Xenophobia, fear of the unknown. That's a huge one in today's world. How about this one? Achievemiophobia, fear of success. Metathesophobia, fear of change. Phobophobia, fear of fear. <laughs> Ametrophobia, fear of vomiting. I have that as well. <laughs> Gifriophobia, fear of bridges. Now here's one. Sedongliophobia, fear of cotton balls. <laughs> Were you attacked by one as a child? What? Uh, I don't get it. Here's some for kids, didaskalophobia, fear of school, 
Kids, I'm giving you some ammunition. If you are teenagers, you can say, Mom, I have this phobia. I can't go to school. Usually happens on Mondays. Another one that is, is new to me, but I guess it's been around for the coolrophobia, fear of clowns. A lot of people afraid of that. And another thing that pops up on Mondays is ergophobia, which is a fear of work, right? Uh, it also seems like a, a whole generation of people also suffer from this fear. But did you know, even though we see all of that, that the Bible tells us time and time again, over a hundred times, fear not, do not be afraid, be not afraid. He says it in various different ways. And I had heard it one time, uh, I, I want to be, uh, I always try to be as accurate as I can be to prepare. And, and I remember hearing that the Bible had said, you know, over 360 times, fear not. And so I actually, and I'd heard that over and over again, the pastor saying, well, this is just a, a great way that God's showing us every day not to be afraid. So I actually looked that up, and, and it's a lie. Uh, it doesn't actually say that that many times. In the, and if you do look up fear, of course it's going to be in there that many times. But in this context of telling you not to be afraid, it's not over 300 and some odd times. But 80 times in the New Testament, another 30 times in this time in the Old Testament, talking about not being afraid because God is with us. Now, we can find some spiritual comfort, but I'm telling you, if you are afraid of spiders and a spider's crawling on you, me saying, did you know the Lord says fear not, probably isn't going to help. Okay? <laughs> but what we can do is we need to be able to understand what we are afraid of and begin to point that to God. We can pour out our heart to God. Did you know that? We can tell him our fears, we can tell him our concerns, we can tell him our needs and our desires, and, and these things that just terrify us. And, and what psychologists would call this is an irrational fear. Now, there's normal fear. Again, uh, most of us have enough fear built into us, we don't step out into traffic, right? But a two-year-old doesn't. <laughs> and so as we learn injury and pain, and our parents saying, don't, hey, gotta watch, gotta hold my hand when we cross the street, we learn healthy fear, right, that preserves us from doing stupid stuff. But then there's also fears that creep in, and, and there's people that are afraid of spiders that have never been attacked by a spider. There's people, again, I don't know how this happened, people that are afraid of cotton balls and uh, clowns and Santa Claus and all kinds of things. And it's irrational, but here's the great part. It doesn't have to make sense. You know how you feel. And that sometimes, whether we like it or not, the Bible doesn't make sense, and you just have to go with it by faith. It seems to be the opposite. Just like you're having money problems, the Bible says give. Well, that seems pretty stupid. If I'm already having money problems, why would I give? Because it breaks the cycle of greed and selfishness, right? If you really want your prayers answered, pray for somebody else. Keep praying. Well, why would I pray for somebody else when my... It's just how God works. Love your enemies. That sounds like complete nonsense, but that's what God tells us to do. And so it's not just so much about saying, don't fear. Because, again, just because somebody's afraid, me telling them don't be afraid probably isn't going to work until faith replaces fear. Right? Faith has to replace fear. 
I went through this as a child. I've shared this story in, in various times before, but uh, I learned how to swim by my cousins throwing me into a cattle pond. Not a pleasant experience. And I struggled with, uh, I didn't mind swimming, but for whatever reason, especially when I was young, of having my face in water. And my mom thought she would help me. She put me in swimming lessons. I hated it. Uh, and so she was going to help me at home, filled the tub up and said, you know, just put your face in the water and we'll just count. Just put your face in the water. And, and as it's like trying to baptize a cat, you know. Uh, I'm in the water, just a, you know, just a little nipper, probably eight, ten years old. And I'm in the water. That's no problem. But I've got both hands planted firmly on the sides, trying to get as slowly into, and I just couldn't get it. As soon as my nose got close, and she says, "If just put your hands down and I'll help you. And I said, don't push my head into water. I won't. Well, you know what she did, right? Full under, <laughs> sploosh, I came up sputtering, coughing, and I really dealt with that well into my teenage years. I didn't mind swimming, but there was something about being having my, my head under. Well, that played a big role when I go in the Navy, and guess what they expect you to do? you got to start being comfortable in, in water. And even to this day, even though I swim well, and I, I know what I can do, it doesn't mean that it's not still in the back of my brain. I know when I get in the water, I'm not going to die, but it doesn't mean that thoughts don't creep in. And maybe that's for you as well. Maybe you can press through these things. Maybe it's an airplane ride, and you know the airplane's not going to kill you, but you know if you're stuck next to the window, you're going to kill somebody to get out, right? <laughs> you know if somebody zips a sleeping bag up over your head, you're going to explode that sleeping bag, and you don't care, right? Uh, because it, it's irrational, and part of our brain triggers, and we stop making sense because that thing that's scaring us doesn't make sense. And God doesn't want us to live that life for a couple reasons. It's not because we're, uh, you're a sissy or, or, or the fact that you can't make home videos and win lots of money for turning those in. But it's a leverage point for the enemy to begin to attach fear upon fear. And now we've got people that are afraid to leave their homes, people that are afraid to touch other people, people that are... I mean, when I grew up, there was no germophobia when I grew up. <laughs> We had dirt on our hands all the time. There was no antibacterial soap. There was just regular soap, and we didn't use it that much because a little dirt didn't hurt. I mean, there's dirt on vegetables, dirt every place. You played in the dirt. And now, and again, if this is you, I'm, I'm not poking funny. It's just a, a, it becomes a phobia of touching people and touching this and f fear of this, and people will wash their hands raw. And it just becomes a leverage point for the enemy to gain access to our lives and to move us away from him and from the people around us. So let me tell you what the Scripture does say to us. Just so you think, uh, maybe you feel like you were born this way or I've always been afraid of that. Here's what 2 Timothy says. God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. Now, notice he says it's a spiritual thing. Okay? God has not given us a spirit of fear. And it doesn't mean fear of death, that, that healthy fear that we're talking about. But look what he has. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity where we back away, but one of power. He's given us a spirit of power and a spirit of love and 
self-discipline, right? Now, that's right from God's Word, where he says, if you want to know what I want for you, I want you to know I don't want you fearful, afraid, and timid. And timid is not the same as meek or gentle. Timid means you're always backing up. You're like a a cat (laughs) in a rocking chair factory. You are all over the place, right? That's not what he wants for you. He doesn't want you nervous. He doesn't want you anxious. He doesn't want you losing sleep. He doesn't want you to become somebody that gets overwhelmed with the fears and the phobias of this world. He said, my plan for you is to have power, power to overcome, and to have love, to know that I love you, and I'll love you through this, and I can love you out of this. Many of you, you experienced this, your child or a grandchild had something special, whether it was a special blankie or a pacifier or something, and they loved it. But sooner or later you realize they got to give that up. But they don't think they can live without it, and pretty soon you've got to start withdrawing it from them. Or it gets uncomfortable when you've got an 8-year-old walking around the store with his wubby, right? <laughs> or a pacifier still in their mouth. Now the big question here is, well, what's the harm of an eight-year-old still having those things? Because they provide false security. And some of the things that we begin to believe and some of the ways that we begin to act are actually providing us false security. And just because somebody else doesn't know or we keep it hidden doesn't mean that it's not piling up in our heart and it's just a false security. And the world is full of it. We, do, we try to make people not feel afraid. And if you're somebody that hates flying, I'll just, I'm going to be right in your camp. Do you think that that little seat belt is going to help when that plane crashes into a mountain? But you know what they've done? They realize instead of saying, ladies and gentlemen, if this plane decides to crash into a mountain, there's absolutely nothing you can do except for scream in terror. That's a wrong thing to announce over the intercom, right? So now think about this. Think about irrational behavior. What do they tell you to do? In case of the plane having imminent impact, you're in a seat this big. I want you to lean forward and put your head between your knees. Now, if you could do that, Do you think that is going to save you from the crash of falling at 700 miles an hour into a hard object? Probably not. But it gives you something to do. To take your mind off screaming hysterically and rushing the cabin, right? In the event of a water landing, there's a flotation device underneath your seat, and your seat becomes a float cushion. Well, in my world, in case of a water landing, the seat becomes a toilet. It doesn't become (laughs) a flotation device. And once that's happened, I'm not holding it to my chest (laughs) as I'm floating in shark-infested water. But it gives us something, some reassurance. And I don't want to point you to false security. God's Word is good for us. But it has to be acted upon. 
And that's one of the primary concerns for our modern-day Christianity is we hear and we hear and we hear we don't have an education problem. We don't have an information problem. We have an application problem. It's like me handing you sunscreen and you keep it in the tube and you carry it with you as you get scorched like a lobster. It does you absolutely no good unless you use it. And that means that as you apply God's Word to your fear, it begins to have an effect. It begins to get inside of you. It begins to push out the fear, and you realize you can trust God, and it may not completely leave you, or he wouldn't have to say it over and over again. But just remember, he says, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And he keeps saying those things over and over again. You know why? He knows how our memory works. He knows that in our brain we don't always forget. But it does mean we can step out by faith. You think about the Apostle Paul that's been stoned and shipwrecked. You think that the next time he got up, he thought, the last time there was some bad stuff that happened. You don't think he remembered that? But the faith in him pushed him forward instead of fear causing us to retreat. Here's what's funny. The number one fear in the world is public speaking. Number two is death. So technically, it's better to be in the casket than speaking the eulogy at a funeral, according to the world report. But what I want to put in your hands this morning is the reality of this. Sometimes you don't need the label. We talked about that last week. It's not the label. But you may not even know what you're afraid of. You just feel this sense of dread, this sense of being overwhelmed, sense where you can't, you can call it a panic attack, you can call it worry, you can call it anxiety, you can call it depression, whatever it is that you label it. But the problem is you don't really know what's causing it. And God wants to get to the root, and the only way to do that is you have to define it. And so if you want to defeat it, you've got to be able to define it. You can't defeat what you can't define. What's scaring you? I don't know. Well, it's pretty tough to handle that. What's wrong with you? Everything. Well, you've got to, give us, you've got to narrow it down a little bit. And if you're dealing with this, feeling this overwhelming anxiety, you need to ask yourself, what? what's the root? You already know what the symptoms are. You know your heart rate goes up. You know your mind begins to race. You know you feel like, I just can't relax, and it feels like, ah, uh, I'm uneasy. You know what the symptoms are, but the question is, what's the root? What's the root of what's causing this? Here's some of them that maybe you don't even know about. Fear of loss, afraid of losing your spouse, afraid of losing your marriage, afraid of losing a child, afraid of losing your health or a job. And here's a big one, just losing control. You have a sense of loss or failure. This sense of failure keeps you from stepping into areas where you could be very successful. But what if I fail? Failure is normal. Failure means you're trying, but you feel you'll be inadequate. You feel you don't measure up. You feel you can't keep up financially or spiritually or sexually or any of those ways. Maybe you're, 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 you can't get pregnant. Maybe you can't stay married. I don't know what that is, but there's a failure that's driving you instead of faith that's driving you. And the problem is it's driving you backwards. You're pulling back 
because of that fear. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I wasn't made for this. Maybe, maybe I'm just not supposed to be happy. Maybe, And you begin to change your life based on fear instead of faith. And that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to be a person who has faith. And can I tell you, we're all going to encounter fear. That's what faith is for, to begin to counter it. Same as courage. Courage means that you don't, it doesn't mean you don't have fear. It just means that you step forward instead of stepping back. Every fireman knows exactly what happens if you get into serious, serious heat. It will kill you horribly. And yet, when the house is on fire, they run in while everybody else is running out. It's not that they don't know what heat does, but they've decided to overcome with their faith instead of the fear. Fear of rejection. This is a big one today. It's one of the most common reasons that the North American church is not spreading the gospel. We're more afraid of our friend rejecting us than God rejecting us. We don't want to be rejected. We want to feel like we fit in. And what's funny is that the more that we try to fit in, the more lonely we feel. Feel like we're going to be left out again. Feel like we're never going to be able to get married. We feel like our marriage isn't going to make it again. We're going to be rejected. Our kids will reject us. They'll reject us from work over and over and over. Reject, reject, rejection, rejection. And, and it's grueling and it's painful. Fear of the unknown. The what ifs. And those things begin to creep in. What if I, what if I can't find a job? What if I don't overcome this this disease? What if, what if I can't get past this abuse? And, and it's this, this process that I call paralysis through analysis that you begin to go through all the what-ifs and there's no right answer <laughs> because there's no way to answer a what-if. And I remember dealing with this with my kids and even some of the, the teens when you used to do teen uh, ministry. Was, there's was always what-if questions. Well, what if they're trying to find that gap or that loophole, right? And then I'd make something ridiculous. Like, oh, I, I get it. Oh, sure, yeah. What if a Tyrannosaurus came through and just ate you? And they'd say, well, that's not going to happen. I'd say, yep. <laughs> There's no end to the list of what ifs. Other than it's a big hole that we begin to fall into. And what if? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not strong enough? What if I'm not smart enough? What if I'm not rich enough? What if I'm not pretty enough? What if I'm not healthy enough? What if, what if, what if? What if you stood in faith instead of fear? What if you stood on God's word instead of how you feel? Those are some good what ifs. And so this is serious business because it affects our lives. It affects our witness. It affects our joy, our peace. The people that we're supposed to be as God are not supposed to be fearful, shrunken down, timid people. We have been empowered with His Holy Spirit to be bold. And it doesn't mean loud. But we're the ones like firemen that step forward when everybody else is stepping back. We should be showing the world but if you're afraid in your faith, and you're afraid, and, and I'm going to speak to a, I don't know who you are this morning, but maybe you've always questioned that about God. What if I don't fully believe? I'm going to tell you that He is a patient, merciful God. 
But I also find that the people that are insecure in their faith are very insecure sharing their faith. If you're not really sure you're saved, if you're not really sure there's a God, if you're not really sure, because it's not based on who you are now. Can I tell you that? It's based on who God is. We are imperfect people that will never be right. We're always going to have failures and struggles and feel like we've blown it. But that's not true because it's not based on us. The only way for somebody to get saved is through God, through Jesus Christ. It's not through us and our power or our words. You wouldn't have to say a word, and you can just pray for somebody quietly, and they can get saved when they trust in God, and God does a new work in their life without us doing anything. He didn't need us to create the world, right? We weren't even around. He doesn't need our work. We're just a vessel to share that it's possible. And so if you're struggling in that and you think, I just don't have my faith perfected yet, welcome to the human crowd. None of us have our faith perfected yet. We all step out when it feels uncomfortable. We all have to learn to go when we feel like people are against us and we are the only ones that believe like this or we're the only ones that are going to say something, the only ones that are going to speak up for morals. It's hard. It's difficult. That's why we have to have faith instead of fear. Fear always causes us to turn from God, even if you don't feel it immediately, all the way back to Adam and Eve. It said that once they ate the apple, God came down in the cool of the day, and he began to walk in the garden, and he said, where are you? And their response was, we were hiding. We heard you walking around, and we were afraid. And from then on, there was a strange relationship between human beings and God that somehow their lack of ability to be perfect created fear. And I'm here to tell you, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be perfect for us. We cannot attain perfection. He could. And he became the perfect sacrifice for you and me. That's the good news. The bad news is you thinking you have to be perfect, you'll never get there. There will always be fear and failure. And you can't get there. That's why we have Jesus Christ. But that kicks up another fear. Well, fear of losing control. If I turn my whole life over to him, you'll be better. <laughs> It won't be worse. It will be better. It may be strange for a little bit during the transition, but your life will be better with Jesus Christ than away from him and fearing him and wondering. He didn't destine us for fear. So let's go on right here. Fear is just placing faith in the what-ifs. You've got more faith in the what-ifs than you do in God. Well, what if? And we talked about this a little bit. But God's Word, even Exodus chapter 4, Moses even dealt with this. Look what he says. What if they don't believe me? When God told him to go and, and say that God had spoken to him, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say the Lord didn't appear to you? What if? What if? What if? Look where he placed his faith. He placed his faith in the what-ifs. That's a dangerous place to put your faith. Why do your what-ifs matter? That's a great question. What you fear the most reveals what you value the most. How many of you woke up in a dead fright this morning thinking, what if they took away taxes? What would we do? Oh, my gosh. 
what would we do if there was no more IRS? I don't know if I can sleep. How many of you thought this week, oh my gosh, what if they cure cancer? I, how would we even make it in this world if they cured cancer? We only fear the things that can cause us loss, the things that can take something valuable from us. And it shows what you value, which is a good thing sometimes. Secondly, what you fear the most also reveals where you trust God the least. When you say, I really fear that my children aren't safe, what you're really saying is, I don't think I can trust God with my kids. I can't trust my marriage with God or my health with God or my finances with God or my future with God. It reveals an area where you have to work on it. Remember how I started the service this morning talking about that we're being built up? That means there's areas that have to come and be exposed so that we can be built up. That's what God's trying to do. He's not going to punish you for that fear, but what he's saying, when I expose it, when I show you where there's fear, now I'm going to show you how to act in faith. And it's not easy. Think it was easy for Moses to be found in the middle of nowhere and said, I want you to lead all of my people? I bet you there was fear. Or Moses dies and Joshua takes over, I want you to lead them all now. You've got them here. Moses... Moses only taught Joshua how to be a professional wanderer. For 40 years, that's what he'd seen. We wandered the desert. He grew up under Moses. Who taught him military directions? Who taught him how to lead a million people? I bet you there was fear. Well, the disciples standing around as Jesus was caught and tried, and they responded in fear. And he knew it was going to happen. He, he had already predicted it. But he didn't pick them because they wouldn't be afraid. But what he really said is, you've got to realize you're going to be afraid. You think you can handle all these guards, but Peter, a little slave girl is going to question you, and you're going to be so afraid. <laughs> Fear just began to grip him. And it pushed them away from him. Didn't draw him close. And that's the problem with fear, is either you can allow it to motivate you to draw close to God, but if you're not careful, it'll begin to draw you away. And you begin to place more faith in the what-ifs. So here's the question this morning. If you had to fill in this blank, what would you say? I'm not trusting God with... You know what's on your heart. You know what you deal with the most. You've got to be able to define it. Until you can define it, you can't defeat it. What would you say? What's that area you could say, I know without a fact I'm, I don't trust God with. Now that, now that you've defined it, now you've got to be able to deal with that. Okay, God, I need your help. Help me see this. Help me move through this. Let's talk about this, overcoming our fears. Now, I saw a thing online that I thought was kind of new wave psychology it said, if you'll embrace your fear, you'll come out better on the other side. I thought, well, that sounds really great. But if the number two fear is death, just embrace it. 
kind of tough to come out on the other side, isn't it? Here's where faith kicks in. Acknowledge your fear, but trust God anyway. Okay? Acknowledge your fear and trust God anyway. Look what David said. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. Look at that. When I place my trust in God, I'm not afraid. And this was written while he was being hunted in the desert. He was afraid. He was wondering what would happen if Saul found him and caught him and killed him. And yet he says, even in the midst of my fear, I'm going to go to God. And God's going to take care of that. I'm going to trust God, and then I won't be afraid. Notice those two things coming together. I'm going to trust God, and then I will not be afraid. The question is, for many of us, you thought you had trusted God with something, and quote, He let you down. You see this with children, right? Children will do almost anything when they trust you. Your four-year-old, five-year-old jump, and they'll jump to you. Even when you're not ready, sometimes they jump. You drop them a couple times. They're not so eager to jump. And some of you feel like God may have missed when you jumped. But can I assure you, you're still here. You're still with it. Some things have happened, life takes place, sin has consequences, and just because it happened doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or that you can't trust Him. I believe that there are many good parents, but that doesn't mean that nothing bad has ever happened to your child. And if that was the case... If I was to say, well, did your child ever fall down and scrape their knee? Yep. Well, you're a bad parent. You'd probably look at me and say, what? <laughs> I wasn't even there. It's not like I pushed them down. They just stumbled and fell. Well, whose fault was that? If you would just held their hand the whole time, never let them out of your sight, is that the definition of a good parent? Or sometimes it's necessary for them to learn what happens when they fall. Could it be that God is such a good father that sometimes he allows us to get a little wounded, something that's not permanent, so we learn to depend on him more, learn to slow down, learn to look at something a little better? I mean, we learn this with age, right? When you're 8, 9, 10, you don't have a problem climbing to the top of the tallest tree if you don't suffer from acrophobia. But probably by the time you're 40, you're not doing that. A, because you're too tired. And B, because you know what happens if you fall out of that tree. <laughs> you don't just bounce and get up crying. God tells us that we can overcome that fear by trusting Him. And that is difficult because it means surrendering control. Lord, here's my children. Lord, here's my marriage. But what if he doesn't? And we keep taking it back from him. Here's my finances until it gets tight and then I take it back. Here's my job until it gets bad and then I... You see what I'm saying? And until we can fully release it and say, if it turns good, bad, or ugly, I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to trust you with it. This is difficult. I worked in the medical profession for many years, and it's hard for people to understand that I'm going to cause you pain now so that you can be better later. But in the world of faith, 
Sometimes that's that same situation. This is going to hurt right now. But believe me, you're going to be better on the other side. Changing friends, hurtful. Moving out of addictions, painful. Leaving behind parts of our past that have become embedded in our life is hard, but we'll be better on the other side when we choose to trust God. When that time comes, you seek God until He takes away your fear. Every time you fear, what do you do? Go to God. The problem is we keep manifesting, focusing on our fears, right? Focus on our fears. We focus on our fears. We focus on our fears instead of focusing on God. And if we'll focus on Him in the moment of our fear, it takes our mind off the fear, and He can fill us with faith. And again, this is so much easier to tell you this than to actually do it, but this is where self-discipline is required. Just like with me. If I want to, and I am, scuba certified, do you think I have to get my face wet over and over and over again? Do you think that little thing doesn't tick in the back of my head the whole time? You bet. But what I have not missed because of that fear is what's important. What I've seen, what I've experienced from overcoming that fear, and I'm still here before you today. I haven't drowned, I haven't died from that fear, and I just have to keep pushing it forward. And it's not easy. And for many of you, it's not easy. I'm not saying that any of this is easy. If it was easy, it wouldn't take faith. It's because it's hard that it takes faith. If you could naturally do it, it wouldn't require any intervention from God. But the fact that it is hard is where he's actually building us up, like Dita was talking about. That resistance, that muscle, is you're pushing back. Instead of letting it push you, you're pushing back. That's the nature of irrational problems. My lovely wife is afraid of bees, and she would kill me if I got in the way. If I was in the blocking the door of her only way out, I would be a dead man of her getting away from bees. She might apologize later, but she's not going to slow down. And what I love is that it is irrational, something that big can drive people into a frenzy. And I know it's scary, but it's also funny, especially to watch somebody at a distance when you can't even see the bee. Have you ever seen that? And they're like, what's wrong with that person? I think they have a nervous disorder. And then just take off running. <laughs> From something that's one millionth the size of you, but that size doesn't matter, does it? And so please don't think that I'm minimizing your fear because something that big can make us run. That's why God says, hey, this is not the plan I have for you. I'm a bigger God than that bug. I'm a bigger God than that fear. I'm a bigger God than that. And I can see you through this. You've just got to turn to me. David says again in Psalm 34, I sought the Lord. He's having this fear. I sought the Lord, and guess what? He answered me 
Look what he says. He delivered me from all my fears. And the worst fears are the ones that are never going to happen. 90% of the things you fear are never going to happen. Ninety percent. The question is, how do we do this? Glad you asked. Don't wait until you're in the middle of an overwhelming fear to think this is going to work. (laughs) When you're being chased by a swarm of bees, it's not the time to kneel down and pray, Lord, deliver me from the bees. (laughs) Right? But what happens is you acknowledge it now in a safe place. Lord, you know I'm terrified about. And you start seeking him daily. And he'll build faith in you. And he'll build confidence in you. And when the time comes, you may find that you've got a lot more faith than you used to have fear. David understood it. He can either worry about the fears or I can seek the Lord. I shared this a couple months ago, and I I see it's, I know I can't solve the problem, but it's worth repeating. Years and years ago, there was a platform for people to pour out their worries, concerns, uh, fears, failures, displeasures, all of that stuff. And it wasn't called Facebook, it was called prayer. Pouring your fear and problems and mess out on Facebook only ends up in compounding the issue as people attack you or criticize you for what you posted. Seek the Lord. You're dealing with the fight of your life, seek the Lord. Dealing with feeling like an overwhelmed situation, seek the Lord. We've got the heroes of faith that stood through horrible trials from fiery furnace to snowy pits filled with leopards to uh, mad kings to everything this world knew, and they knew how to overcome, and it wasn't to give in to the fear, it was to seek the Lord. And I'll tell you, I get convicted when I read this. I'm thinking, I can be such a whiner. I can be such a complainer, such a grumbler. And that doesn't fix my faith. I, I think of all these trials that these men and women faced. And they, when they got to desperate means, they sought God. And I'm sure it felt weird. But it came to that place where like, this is it. Either God's going to show up or he's not. And yet we've got the story to show that God showed up. Time and time and time again.